Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode is one part of my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. I have the co-creators of one of the most extraordinary films that the Cat Film Festival has ever had. It's called Cats of Malta. Sarah Jane Portelli and Yvonne Malekin made it together. They now live in Zagreb, but they were living in Malta, and they were Australian originally, and they really care about community cats and the people who care about them, and they've made the most marvelous film. Sarah Jane and Yvonne, welcome to the show, and congratulations on your terrific documentary. Thank you, Tracy, and thanks for selecting it for your festival as well. It was very hard not to select it. It was like it jumped out of the computer. It was like, hello, put me right in the middle, front and center. It's just, it, it incorporates, Sarah Jane and Yvonne, everything that the film festival is about, which is an appreciation and understanding of who cats are and what they mean to us and how that's different in different places for different people. You captured a community on the small island of Malta, where apparently there are loads of people from a very young teenage boy to a much older lady and all kinds of people in between, a fantastic British actress that you came upon who just brings it alive, all of them devoting hours and money and concern and care for these cats that live on the street. And I wonder if it struck you more in Malta than we won't talk about Australia and their attitudes about community cats because that's a sad situation. But other places you may have lived. Did Malta strike you as much more cat-friendly, cat-centric, cat-welcoming in a sense? Um, for us, because we got deep into the community in Malta, we got a good insight into like the actual cat culture and the actual community in Malta where people actually look after cats and care for them and do everything they can around their daily tasks. When we were in Sylvie's, in when we were traveling in Portugal, we saw lots of cats, and even in Zadar in Croatia, we see like men feeding cats near the beach. So, I think there are cat feeders, you just have to know where to find them. They're kind of like hidden, like you see the cats, and you're like, Who's feeding these cats? Yes. So that's what we did. We had to go and find out who not really belongs to who not who belongs to the cat, or who does a cat belong to. But yeah, if do in order to get the cats, obviously, we had to talk to the people, and I think just discovering that there was no other way but to do it but to get into the community 
because we do see cats getting fed in Croatia and we don't actually talk to the people there, but we did in Malta and that's how the film came about. But also the sheer amount of stray cats in Malta, you can't help but notice like everywhere you walk around there's cats. So you begin to wonder, okay, who's looking after these cats and you want to find out more. Yeah, I don't see a lot of cats here in Zagreb compared to how I saw a lot of cats in Malta. They were just everywhere and that's what made us um, do this documentary. We're like, why are there so many cats everywhere? What's right, and on? why are they quite well? I mean, they're well and and quite, um, they're not necessarily all of them people friendly. They're people cautious, a lot of them, but they, they all look well fed because they are. I think there's a, there's a t- statistic that you mentioned at the beginning of the film I'm so bad at numbers. There's like 450,000 people and 100,000 cats, or is that way off? No, that's spot on. Oh, my God, I remembered a number. That's really frightening. Um, It's an incredible, I mean, there's, (laughs) they're the quarter of the human population. I think really the, the beauty of documentary filmmaking is having the passion and interest in the topic, but not inserting yourself Documentary filmmakers are supposedly objective, right? And they're objectively chronicling something. But many documentaries have an intentionality, which is fine. There's no harm in it. I mean, there's documentaries about the Holocaust, and they certainly have an opinion, if you will, the documentarians going in. But in the case of this film, you really allowed people to express themselves and their personalities to shine through in a way that is for me one of the great joys of a documentary. We got to know these kitties and see them with people who had a story about what the cats meant to them. The extraordinary British actress, I mean, she was divine. How did you find her just in your perambulations? There's this lady feeding multiple cats and having a marvelous chat with them. Um, We shot during COVID, so at the start of COVID, like we were about to shoot. And then COVID broke out because it happened by accident because I saw Matthew Pandolfino painting the cat on Instagram. Someone I saw um, someone I saw on Instagram said, oh, the guy's painting the cat statue again. So I went to, I contacted him, I interviewed him. And then I worked in February of that year with Polly March on a short film by Cassie Camilleri. And, I, and then I saw Polly on Instagram saying, I can't go and feed my cats because of COVID. Um, people over 50 are not allowed to go and feed. Oh, my God. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. Can someone go and feed my cats? I have three colonies. And I thought, hang on. That's an easy in for me. I know she feeds (laughs) cats. I've spoken to her before. I worked with her. So I contacted her and I was like, "Um, Polly, do you remember me? We worked on a film in February. And it was like April or something. Maybe around. Just after February. Yeah, maybe around May. We can know somewhere. Yeah. And she said, yeah, I remember you. And then I told her that I wanted to come and follow her with a camera when she was feeding cats. She was all for it. Well, understandably, because it, it's a, it's this amazing passion where she gave up her life on the boards and, you know, the West End of, of London to, mm. to make Malta her home and the cats be the center of it. And she has such charm and wit and and energy it's it's just it's fantastic crazy. right i mean and yeah. you captured it it's um it's a <laughs> lovely thing and and then you and then you sarah took in one of the kitties who wound up in a bad circumstance yes part of a colony and then he was lost and then he was found but he was injured and there was no one right then to foster him so that was one of the cases where you came on the other side of the camera for a moment right and and became part of the story 
Yes, and when we showed our producers, uh, they said to me, well, you're in the documentary, so you might as well start off the documentary by talking about your story because it doesn't make sense that you just pop up here and there. <laughs> right. So, so we're like, all right, let's try it. We're like, so we went and shot some, yeah, we had the footage of me already in Malta because we used to shoot travel videos. So we put oh. me in. So that's how, I, that's how I got into it. I didn't intend to be in it. Like I didn't want to be seen at all. But because of Blackie and what happened with him, it just ended up that way. And Ivan and I took him in because we were really worried about him. He was in a really bad way. Yeah. And, yeah. And, well, no one else came forward. So really, there was no option. Like, uh, we're worried about Blackie. Okay, well, we'll take care of him then. And we had to convince our landlord, which actually did take some convincing because she didn't want any animals in the home at all. But we said it's only going to be a couple of weeks. And you know, she let us go ahead with it. I think it ended up being an extra week, but we didn't tell her. Yeah. And I kept saying to her, but he's in a cage. It's fine. We had <laughs> But we come home and he's in the bed. Like, I'm, I'm like, yeah. And I'd be paranoid, like, am I going to wake up and is the door going to be all scratched? Is he going to, like, attack the bed and then she's going to, like, you know, kick me out of my apartment? Right. He was actually quite calm. It was interesting. He, was he became he became an indoor kitty. Well, the lady that adopts him in the end, who's a charming right. friend of Polly March's, seems to have a walled garden. But it's, it's a great lesson in cats who've lived for generations outdoors without being inside or under the command of a human and blackie was like oh you could see him he's like this is great i i like this a lot shelter excellent meals on on a regular program they said that he was quite quite the chow hound yes yeah yes well both polly and margaret suspect he used to be somebody's cat like yes. you know, when he was younger so he must have been dumped on the street yeah some man dumped him apparently yeah. Well, I mean, that's the fate of so many kitties. I wonder how you would compare Malta in its attitude um, and lifestyle, if you will, for community cats to Greece. Greece has been a place always somewhat famed for lots of loose cats and and a, a good number of foreign. There's one a lady from New York who designs skyscrapers or something and has an amazing sanctuary outside Athens for cats and yeah. others. And I'm wondering... Uh, do you think that there's a comparison? Does Malta seem, again, you guys are world travelers and it's very hard to judge because you probably, when you were in Greece, that wasn't your focus or you, of your attention. But what do you think? Malta comes across in your film as if you're going to be an, an unowned cat. That's a good place to be one. I think it is a good place to be one because it's like 300 days of sunshine and there's a lot of people looking after them. And, like, there's even some councils who are building boxes for them now. So they're building housing. Oh, nice. There's, yeah, like the, the, some of the communities have been really lovely. And the mayor actually follow us, follows us now on Instagram, the mayor of <laughs> oh, I think on Facebook. And he's always commenting and sharing. So, yeah, so one of the mayors from Slima, where the big cat garden is, He's a big fan. And there's some of the people in the in outside, like the councillors, have been really good, like building houses and making sure the cats are well looked after. So, yeah. So let's talk I, about the young man in the film who who is as enchanting on the other end of the age spectrum as Polly March is on the older end of the spectrum. This young boy is so adorable. I mean, he is one day, I hope, going to be the mayor of Malta. He has the makings of a mayor. He's just so adorable. Did you find come upon him feeding his colonies? Uh, what happened with him was I was just doing research about cat feeders in Malta, and I think I saw him in I saw him somewhere. I don't know how I was found it him. the 
the YouTube video? No, it wasn't, I don't think. I can't remember. But somehow I found him and I said, oh, there's a... No, I was doing research and I found articles, Malta's youngest cat feed. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I have to speak to this kid. I'm right. speaking to him. And his mannerisms are so funny on the camera, like when he claps his hands and he does the Maltese, like little nod and he's... Oh my God, he's so cute. He's so adorable. To those of you that, that are looking forward to coming to the Cat Film Festival October 23rd in New York City, Sarah Jane and Yvonne are coming. So that is pretty exciting for me to have from Zagreb via Malta, via Australia filmmakers coming to have the experience of an audience experiencing their films. There's there's another cat um, filmmaker, not a documentary, more of a narrative coming from Santiago, Chile. So I don't know which of you is coming further, but I think it's really a great testament to the film festival, not just in terms of the audience that it brings together, to see the whole wide world of where things are for cats. But for the filmmakers to know that there are enclaves certainly in the united states and canada where people will go out of their way to buy tickets in advance knowing that 10 percent of it goes to the perfectly for your film the feline cat initiative in new york which is for unhomed cats mm -hmm. city cats street cats that are looked after by again colonists if you want to call them that and that people really care so what you're doing matters you did it for yourselves you did it I just consider documentary filmmaking, even any making of short films, a work of, of nothing but artistry and love. No one can do it to get rich, to get famous. They do it because they believe in something. They care about it. Now, when you made your travel videos, that was a way to make a living, right? Yeah, partly for YouTube channel. It's more because we have bad memories, so you if we do. don't record it... <laughs> <laughs> it all starts to blend after a while. But we like we like traveling, so we put them up on YouTube. So it's nice to like remember where you've been as well. Oh my goodness, yes! People are constantly those dreadful selfies people are taking that seem to, to my mind, ruin anybody's actual experience of being in a place. They're spending the entire time poking their camera, their their cell phone, which is what I think of it as, either at themselves or out into the world. But that's another story. I, I just want to say that I think that the time and the energy and the craft and the expertise that you put into this film, it just shines. When they say about a Hollywood film, you can see all the money up on the screen, meaning some huge production costs. What I see in Cats of Malta is a great passion for not just the cats, but for a place and the people and a, an embrace of them, which is a wonderful experience to have as an audience member because there is so much strife in the world and so much discord. And I think your film really exemplifies the way that animals can bring us together. Did you have that feeling? Certainly during COVID, everybody was so distanced from each other and such yeah. such strict rules outside of America. We didn't have rules in America that people couldn't go outdoors, but many countries did. In it Europe. was pretty lax for us. I think we because we were not in Australia because Australia had full lockdown. Our family wasn't allowed to go out. But we were in Portugal when we got locked in, mm -hmm. and there was already a curfew where we only could go out on, in the more like in the morning. We couldn't go out in the afternoon, like in the evenings. But yeah, then we got locked down on my fortieth birthday. Very <laughs> <laughs> on my fortieth in Portugal when we were there for five months, and then yeah, so for us it didn't really feel that much. Like Malta was pretty relaxed as well when we were mm -hmm. there. Like they were pretty. 
They didn't have a lot of cases. But it definitely did become a yeah. community film. Like for us, it came about, you know, by accident. We never meant to make a cat film, uh, but we had a new camera and we just began filming cats, you know, to test the camera out. <laughs> cause we couldn't, you know, That's wild. And, you know, like Sarah said, there was a, there was a, it's not in the actual this version of the film, but there's another interview where an artist paints a big cat statue, Matthew Palafito, and you know, she knows he was doing that, and she approached for an interview. That was our first interview, and it just grew from there. But it has, you know, from an accident, it has become our favourite experience making a film ever, and, like, the community has been sensational and around I, this film. And I think, too, like, there was people on during COVID that were like, oh, I'm feeling really depressed, I'm locked in, I'm not doing anything. Can someone please send me some cat videos? Post your cat videos below. And everyone was, like, sending each other cat videos. And I think there's a connection about that because there's something about cats that is just so magical. Like, you can't look at a cat and say, oh, I hate it, you know. It's like right. so right. It's so cute. And even if you, if, even if you don't like people that don't like cats have seen it and go, oh, this is really cute film, not a cat person, but... I really love, really love the stories and I really can, you know. They're great the stories. They're wonderful people. And it makes the place seem so special that it that it has either grown up such a lovely young man as, as the one in the beginning, or it has attracted people who just have a, a genuine quality to them. And you think, well, that's a place a person could go for a long visit or to stay or, or as Polly March did, give it a try because her sister was unwell and then never leave. The cats kept her there. I, I really salute you both. I'm so excited that you're coming to New York in October and that we'll all get to meet and that people can, I'm sure, give you a standing ovation. It's a wonderful film. It's your favorite. It's certainly mine as well. And I'm really grateful that you submitted it to the Cat Film Festival and that it will help us have an incredible experience. Thank you, Sarah, Jane, and Yvonne. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Rose. We're really looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. There are a few more very special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you will support their support of my mission to entertain and educate. Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, is still making natural pet food I feed my own dogs. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and free food for the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. Cradle which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition and makes innovative foods like the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that Maisie Hotchner will eat. Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this shorter version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon. <laughs>